0: Welcome to the Cheap Seats. This is the show where we get you front row seats for the best LGBTIQ spoken word events from Melbourne and from around the world. I'm Dean, and it's lovely to have your company this evening. Tonight, we are featuring the work of American poet and writer Eileen Miles. Eileen has produced over the last three decades more than 20 volumes of poetry, fiction, non-fiction, plays and performance pieces. Her works are known for being queer, funny, feminist and provocative. Novelist Dennis Cooper has described Miles as one of the savviest and most restless intellects in contemporary literature. In 2012, Miles received a Guggenheim Fellowship to complete Afterglow, a memoir, which gives both a real and a fantastic account of a dog's life. So now, let's turn our mobile phones to silent and take our seats, as we listen to Eileen Miles from The cheap Seats on Joy 94.9. I'm
1: going to start with a few poems, new and old, and then I'll cut into the dog book, which is, um, this is called My Poems. My Poems are so much like the city, they couldn't publish them on the train. I guess I'm glad to be back in this relationship. It's not my old phone, but it has the same habits. I just need to be sensitive to, to what's roiling, really riding under the bitch. I mean, I'm riding on a train. Nobody knows me, but they like the way my faces change. If I had a million, I'd be stickering the date. That poet dies, thinking when he lived, he was hitting on students, playing barefoot man in the winter in a car. This is my valentine. I better also get a treat. There's no news. Whole cities thinking flowers and fruit. I'm standing on the platform, a man blows his nose, says, I love you, her boots do. The world is never superfluous, second half is just enough. And this is an oldie. Um, part of the thing I've been going through, because I'm doing a selected, is um, looking at old stuff. And um, and So the book is called, I Must Be Living Twice, so I've been doing that a lot. <laughs> this one's called, And Then the Weather Arrives. I don't know no one anymore who's up all night. Wouldn't it be fun to hear someone really tired come walking up your stairs and knock on your door? Come here and share the rain with me. You. Isn't it wonderful to hear the universe shudder? How old it all, everything must be. How slow it goes, steaming coffee, marvelous morning, the tiniest hairs on the tree's arms coming visible. I like it better no one knows. Sweetness, moving your lips in silence, closing your eyes all night. It's so much better disarming myself from terror and light passing through a painting I stuck on a window earlier when I was scared. It's great, it's really great, the trees hold the world and the weather moves slow. Even a body dissolves and takes a place incorrectly everywhere I would like to nuzzle and plants a heart in the world, voiceless. I began knocking, ridiculous, just to hear your echo back, arm against face. Just to stop those fucking trucks, my thoughts are vanishing into that sweetness. That was one of the one, of the one million poems that when I thought, I'm writing a beautiful poem. Um, and then I put the word fucking in. I thought, and it won't go in the New Yorker. <laughs> I was... And also having Robert in the front row, who's from Medford, right? Is this Dorchester? So every time I hit a Boston R, I think it's okay. So it's like, I got forgiveness in the front row. and that was 1981 this is from 1979 it's called Wax and Wayne the stars were glowing tonight like all the paranoia in the universe the air was chill though it's early March but that makes sense doesn't it love doesn't it and a five dollar bill is cold upon my ass my blood is cold Footsteps shattering the stairs up to my level and past it. I don't only want a place on the line. I don't want it to stop with me or start with me. Really, I don't want it to know I'm here at all. I only love what finds me invisible and touches me deeply. Cold does that, and it's how I love the vanishing winter. I used to count breaths in the night. One night I counted the church bells falling into a marsh and growing silent. It was two days before I discovered boys, and tonight is two days after. I feel like a woolen sock on the line, rippling. The season doesn't care about me, and I'm using it without its permission. It's the new God, the one that doesn't know about me at all, who misses me in movies, restaurants, who doesn't count my wheels spinning. Who could count silence? That's the one I love. Loneliness sharpens into something sweeter. My sadness is sharpening themselves. Christian thorns, you bet. Apples, bananas, particularness, which doesn't exist at all as a bird too big for churches. So churches grow as good as movies, restaurants. Silence is running tonight to get hot coffee, to smoke, to breathe. Everyone is going home to someplace. Me too. Love creates loneliness. I never knew that before. Television is what the night eats. I eat some soup, some bread, old black coffee, reheated like favorite shoes. You're like a fireplace. I just want to be around Five bucks, chill upon the ass. I think I'll buy the morning and some of the afternoon. Oh, pink tulip, two yellows, the length of this room, peaceful cats. Outside, it's cold. Damn it, whatever happened to spring? She comes before the other, don't you know? Primavera, get it, get it, get it? I can stand in back, anyone I want, man or woman, and anyone who wants to stand in back of me is welcome. In fact, they can stand in front of me if they know how to do it. Do you get it? i think we are an army of trees when i tripped i only wanted to sit down everything was moving so much catholic poets only pray no matter what they say if i'm really vain i could propose to jump back into the pool just like it was a room just like i'm not a stupid feather on an immense wing love's taught me a loneliness i never imagined this side of the hallways i don't know smokier i always thought i really loved dante but now i know what he meant Mark says nine represents chaos. Dante thought nine was the music of the spheres. Mark is a musician, and if you could draw a line between those two guys, I would call it history. Hang a sock or two like me. Affluence is holding out a dollar and receiving exactly what you want. I call that economics. When I say television, you know exactly what I mean. I call that a modern idea, a word, television. Get it? Let's do it again. Time. Take the word breast. Take tit. What gets erotic is which word you prefer. What gets warm is speechless. The cold things are easy to enumerate. Stars, paranoia, ideas under blankets, kiss my teeth. If a woman wakes up remembering her dreams and she tells her lover and she doesn't lie at all, and the next day the lover dreams something entirely different, and all day both lovers think about each other's dreams and go and have different dreams the next night, and they just enjoy telling the dreams each morning with their coffee. If a cat nibbles on flowers, I lift it off the table and make it stop because it is ugly. Dreams are some kind of flowers, and when I pour coffee into my cup this morning, for example, and I feed the cats the stuff I wouldn't eat. I I go to the bank, drink some orange juice at Bonds, stuff with real pieces of orange in it. I drink a real big glass of the stuff. The New York Post has one article about peace, one about terrorism. A guy in Weehawken is watching the Ten Commandments on television. Boom, a Cuban storefront explodes while Moses is receiving the tablets. Let's call that channel religion or science fiction. And the New York Post has an article about shaping up. I'm always thinking about that, and I suppose my body reforms accordingly. Lover, lover, here's a flower. It doesn't think it's like my mother. I got no points for that line. She read it. I wasn't interested in the newspaper. It was just something I needed to hold all the time. I have dreams that could have happened. No more orange juice or somebody turns to me and speaks a line. I just wrote and I wonder if they read a poem of mine lying on my desk or my dreaming or I don't know. Maybe there's different flowers in the vase from when I fell asleep. Well, I don't live alone, so there's no reason to be surprised that different flowers are in the same vase. When I dream, I dream nothing extraordinary. That's what I'm trying to say. If something's broken, maybe the cat did it. The wooden counter at Binnie Bonds is more interesting than the newspaper, but if I sat here reading the counter, I'd look like an asshole. <laughs> reading a little bit from each article, I read like a bird. I used to read like a horse until I went to college. I felt all that knowledge coming at me like a screen. Television fills the silence. I pay my check and leave a tip. The word is at the end. It's a thing's dead body. Words of the baby Bertold Breck. Oh, please, pick up your grilled tomato and cheese. Please eat it. I didn't mean what I said. All week long, I've seen nothing but li- lilacs up and down Lexington Avenue, St. Mark's Place, through windows of classy restaurants, but there's nothing classy about lilacs. They used to line the trees on the street where I lived. Children in spring, bringing home big armfuls, marching up twilight spring nights, carrying purple lilac, ho- lilacs home to mothers waiting on screened porches. 19th century flower book says, Lilac, purple, first emotions of love. Days expanding, first emotions of love. Surprise me. I expected death, something melancholic and fading. I am so taken by these flowers these days. Days expanding and shrinking, so I am sure I am no form at all. Just your eyes and my stupidity. Some people are so sure they aren't loved, they'll throw themselves to the task of being hateful. If I only could buy some lilacs on a full moon night and run here panting and wild, it'd be something perfect that doesn't count and change. But I grew up where lilacs were free, didn't everyone? So I just watched them all spring in restaurants and flower shops, full and soft as the lights go down, the moon comes up, and another season starts shouldering in. But the purple lilacs are the most beautiful, and I will always love you. Yeah, one poem, the shortish one, and then I'm going to do the dog book. That whole part of the world where I won't go anymore, that whole separation, I won't feel high in this house, in this hemisphere, in this artificial light, this is, this is new-ish, in this artificial night that is artificial, in the earliest morning, dark, and pages and pens, in an unfamiliar bed, in the foot curl furniture each rumble when morning comes and it's still morning and it's still night i married a dead girl we were born in her bloom remember that fat bumblebee landed on a lamp i opened the doors and i forgot and the house got colder and colder where is this house the seam between boards merely gains my attention it's dark and thin I monitor each situation my bladder growing full climb down climb up what tree am I waiting my whole life and weather waiting for my raft I'll, cl- I'll fly to another island I'll take a train already I know it will hurt this is the hurt country I came here to hold the hurt like a bird like a tree traffic has rings we watch it whirl around damaging our night great continents hold the feelings in the ages. What is mine going blind? Great masses of them not going home. The country drew a line because of memory. One said, I feel my heart race ahead. In eternity, there is this ache. There is this wakefulness.
0: Joy 94.9 is a GLB TIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au.
1: So I'm gonna. So I'm reading from what I call the dog book, and it's actually a a memoir called um, called Inferno. No, called um, Afterglow. And and I I had a great pit bull named Rosie, and I had from 1990 to 2006, and she died in San Diego when I was teaching there. And um, so when she started to die, I started to write about her, and I went through a whole lot of permutations. She she died in six months. And then, you know, like I moved from San Diego to Los Angeles. So I, I packed her, like, bowl and her her collar and and a few dog things. to and, where, and I moved to L.A., stuffed the box in the closet. And when I left L.A., took the box down, or just before I left, and I took out each thing and I took a picture of it. And then I wrote a little catalog entry about it. And sometimes it was just an entry and sometimes it was a narrative. So then it was like a dog dog's will. And it's just, it's been morphing since 2006 when she died. Like I... I, my, my dad who di- died of alcoholism and like um, when I was 11 and he was 44 and we were quite close. When I got her, I looked into her eyes and I, I thought, it's my father. Like, I thought my father would totally come back to hang out with me as my dog. <laughs> so the, there's like a chapter, my father came again as a dog, which I, when I was at McDowell a few years ago, I read it. And people were like, is Rosie going to talk? And I was like, is Rosie going to talk? <laughs> But then I realized I, ha- I still have my childhood puppets that I made in puppet class in, you know, 1950, whatever. And, um, and I thought, well, if the puppets had a talk show and they invited Rosie, she would talk. So there's a chapter, the puppets talk show. So it keeps morphing. And, and, and I went to Ireland and I did a lot of writing in Ireland. And so there's some Irishness in here. I wrote a big hunk of it. And I went to a, the poet Fanny House um, advised me to go to this monastery and... And she said it was a good place to write, so I was in the monastery, and um, and I was like, okay, what is it? Because I felt like there's like 30 pages I need to write, and I had this title, The Dog's Journey, and I thought, what is it? What is it? What is it? And finally, I felt that Rosie came to me and spoke this chapter, and she decided that it was a tapestry, and that it would be kind of so it would be like kind of a speaking picture, and and but the the eye in this at all times is Rosie, and so this is basically a dog talking, and and you'll get into Ireland, you'll get into well, I'm just going to read it and you'll get where you go, I guess. But she's, she's, describing, the, um, she's the, describing the lower portion of a tapestry right now where we begin. And it's a chapter called To the Post Office. And on my father, I think, I, I, well, I will say this. My father was a postal worker. There's a group called Daughters of American Postal Workers, DAP, which I am a member of. <laughs> uh. In tall, rising rising weeds everywhere, like a forest, all the legs in the world, and especially on a big decorative rug, the pup is looking up, looking dumb. You learn a lot about what's in the room from this position. Mostly you're a pointer. We all, remember, I'm a dog speaking. We all have that same cartoon job. The pup turns his head. Or maybe I just go to bed and everyone laughs. That's my bed right there on the floor. I'm off to dreamland, kids. If this afternoon were forever and it's hot, this is the dog stream. This afternoon we're forever and it's hot and sticky and chafing under my collar so I lift my head. I wonder if I've ruined everything by sitting next to this tree in the dark and no one can see it or anything and it's covered, soaked by rain. The whole picture's covered in rain, it's a wet dream. It's so long in the future already and you fall back asleep one night and inside your dream you slip off into a cave. Inside the cave is a river and a boat. You get inside the boat and you're paddling and you feel surprised to discover you're very, very strong when you felt weak for so much of your life. I'm free to just love you now and here and I will just crawl inside you. I wonder who I am, you smiled. A tiny lock over a grate is baking in the sun as the east heats up and one day that lock pops open. I'm dead, you realize, smiling. You start rowing harder and harder than ever before. You are all the ages you've ever been and even the earth is opening now. If there were ever anyone there to watch you, they would see a puppy girl paddling, an old dog woman and a young female kid. Not a goat. Each of them, she doesn't like goats. Each of them rowing as hard as the rest. You're one person now. It's like the accordion's shut. You play that one note, one long, beautiful note. And everything's gone now. All our memories, human history is gone. Even a tiny gravestone is covered when the monuments and boulders, roof of the old medieval church and the hills and the whole world collapses widely and permanently into one crude pile. The valley is shoveling itself into the city. There's no God, no golden foot is now making its way, crunching up over the mountains of stone and the torn apart cars and bicycles and streaming water rusting them, tinkling in eternity and mud splashing over the soil surface of an orb oh poor baby earth you've been alone so long the sun comes out and then that stops it breaks and falls like an egg it was never light in your cave it was always dark in there and you never were something's happened look at the ground it's judgment day Jeesh. look at it and now look these ants are going to hell okay you can open your eyes the pit bull is watching the skyline she's whispering inside my head she's singing to me One tree, that's all you need. Shaped like broccoli or cauliflower some rainy day, I'm glad I woke. Maybe I'll make some coffee. She keeps whispering, one tree, that's all you need. Start a whole civilization that way. One little piece grows it all. Feel the bump. And her paw holds my fingers to the weave. I don't want to wake up. That's it, she says. Every part grows from every other part. Feel it. Every tiny leaf on the tree is singing. Can you hear it? Yes. All right now. And one day I answered the phone. Remember, this is the dog. The square thing was blinking on the floor. It always was. And I'd feel your feet on the stairs, the door fling open. And you look down at the thing to see what it wanted. It was part of a phone, but it felt like a bank. I was alone so much in the beginning. Once I had a whole weekend by myself and covered the apartment in poop. It looked like little piles of rope. I heard you say that when you got home. I was so scared. I heard the telephone ring. It was on the floor, and I'm small. I'm wee. And I pushed the receiver off the cradle with my nose. Yes, I could not speak, yet I was not deaf. I I recognized Tom on the other side. He has a very loud voice. He knew it was me. I said, rah." I said, I meant, help me, help me. He said, Rosie? I could hear him laughing. I said, I'm not kidding. He didn't know what to say. You can often feel this in the human. Outside their pattern. It's all helplessness. Quiet. They don't know how to connect. They can't say. They can but they won't. But if you watch them long enough they do. They say. "Uh." They say. "Mm." They smack their tongue against the top of their mouth. And they hold their mouth open. They cast their eyes up. They do a deep. "huh." They shuffle the air out through their nose. From the back of their throat. They take a deep breath. A quick breath in. They shake their head. They stomp their feet. They shake it again. They raise their eyebrows. They turn up the corners of their mouth. They suck the back of their teeth. Squeak like a bird sound. They sniff and then fall back in their chair. They spring forward. Nothing happens. They make these speeches all the time, but they pretend it's not happening. Intuition. The silent lesson. We know what they think. They felt the pounding of feet and hoofs on the ground from great distance. Though she was born alone, very often she was not. There's no way to prove the hairier ones were born in litters. In the time before ideas, before drawings and sounds, and she and he lived that way, She was the queen, of course, and he was her laborer, her soldier, and her farmer. She allowed herself to be impregnated many times by different men. She communicated through looks what she meant and what he wanted, and sometimes marks on the wall, and she spoke through her eyes and by the patterns of silence along the horizon. Humans were biped dogs. Are we one? I think so. In that that tapestry, you knew what I meant. It was the crowded room of the cave. The rain comes down, and you go outside because you feel it. That's what it is to be a dog, weather and feeling and knowing. That's why you let us remain. You love how we walk around smelling things, how we're always hungry, how we would have sex with anybody, and how it's very clear who we won't have sex with, (laughs) how it seems like we worship you, how you love how a dog settles in and sits down. You love how a dog enters and digs, how a dog picks a place on the rug and scratches and circles and lands and adjusts. Now I'm in the room. And now I look up, and you laugh. Why? Because of your deliberate apartness from yourself. And I always bring you back. Do you see what I mean? You wait and then you sniff. That yellowish tree down there by the lake is waving. You think it's not communicating? Not as much as, say, that door down the hall. Slam. Not as much as the rooms. We're in Ireland now. Go see Esther. That's what it's saying. Go see Esther. Go ahead. And you can't have the dog. You can't have Peggy. But you need to know about her. How is Peggy? How is the dog? The Cheap Seats, for LGBTIQ
0: spoken word events from Melbourne and the world, every Thursday night at 10pm on Joy 94.9.
1: Cheap Seats. September 10th, 2013. The dog's meat makes me sad. Why couldn't I give her all the meat? all the milk. I didn't drink the milk last night. Sometimes the dog uses Eileen's diaries. Why didn't I give her the meat? All the milk. I didn't drink the milk last night when I couldn't sleep and I could so I could have the milk now with my cereal and I don't want it. There's not enough time for anything and the sun is shining and life oh did I miss it you did I miss everything did I miss you oh god I fall into it. I heated the lamb for the dog and I ate it. Drank the milk, scrambled the egg and ate it too. Packed the orange juice. Goodbye, and I colored one little island out. Tell the, now, now, the dog is talking to Eileen. Tell this, this is a very Irish tradition, as you, if you know Irish literature. Tell the story of Peggy. Okay. Peggy came to the door in the rain in September. I heard her whimpering. We will draw a small box in the bottom of the story, and that area will be for Peggy's story. I have not seen her again. Tell the story of Peggy. Okay. I let her in, and she looked around. She was nervous. She was three colors, white, black, and brown. Was she smaller than me? She was. She was at that time, but I have not seen her lately. Very large paws, very large ears, a, wide, a, a large, wide snout of the Richard Gear variety that adds to the animal tenderness of the dark brown eyes. The brown, this brown is more of a variety of honey. She is not unlike the colors of rosy, though distributed differently. She will look well on the rug. Sometimes they call the tapestry the rug. I agree her fur was loaded with burrs and i picked each one of them out she seemed lost she was a puppy a large one and it was raining out maybe we have some blue rain on the tapestry angling down right here providing energy i agree continue i asked if she was hungry and i made her a pale yellow egg scrambled she ate it nervously looking up she liked that it was warm more more smelly it was not entirely clear she wanted to be inside my small house. This isn't New York. It was Ireland. Dog's Journey is mainly written in Ireland. Dogsjourney.com It began in a monastery. It had a silent start. Many fine dogs walk in Ireland. It's true. I would go to dinner and she would wait for me outside. I, had a, I was at an art, artist colony and suddenly I found this dog is what's going on. I would go to dinner and she would wait for me outside and sometimes she was gone. I would sit at the table and look out and several others joined my watching and waiting and even agreed if her owner could not be found, they would take her. This relieved me as I was in a passage of foreign travel, and though I liked the dog very much, and though she was not allowed to be at the estate where I was staying, she petitioned to enter my home intermittently for three days and three nights. I felt she was mine, especially since we slept together, her with that small, guilty look on her face, and ducking into the covers, and suddenly looking up as if she had to be someone uh, somewhere else, which for some reason she did not return to. Each night I would go to the dining area and it was known I was bringing food home to her and I would feed her. I would often be given stale bread and milk for her. And it seemed strange to me that a young dog could be expected to live on this. Does a dog love bread? She would eat wherever, whatever I gave. And I walked around with her and sometimes with another going to the various homes close by where it was suspected she lived and no one claimed her. I was beginning to take her for my own and I named her Peggy and I put her face on social media and the decision was applauded. But then it it transpired through the kitchen through the women who worked there. Esther and Lavinia and Teresa live in this town. Through Esther, it was discovered that a man with two sons who had recently separated from his wife had gotten Peggy for one of the boys in hopes the boy would now stay with him and I understood the ploy had not worked. But his youngest son... An autistic boy, it was told, had claimed the dog for his own and called her Mandy. And the dog had another friend who was a lamb. And the two, dog and lamb, could often be seen sitting in the middle of the street together, just a dirt road, not much traffic, and even sitting in the field in friendship during the day while the boy was at school and the two chums kept each other company. And were referred to as the wee dog and the wee lamb. The boy at school would come home and he would be known as the wee boy. And had no other name and he wanted to keep her, I was told. And that would be the end, except that Esther tells me that Peggy is at her door every day and she feeds the dog at home and there is no one feeding Peggy. And a man who also lives and works here at the estate where I'm staying adds delightedly that he sees the dog and the lamb sitting in the field all day as if they are happy and the dog is small. I ask him. The dog is larger now but not so large. And through Esther I asked again if I could take Peggy home with me to America and the boy's older brother said no. He is my brother's dog. But he does not feed her, Esther said. The older brother said that is my brother's responsibility. I have told this story only to hold Peggy longer and look at her picture which is by now almost two months old. And by the way, Peggy, I'm fairly certain, is Nellie. Can that be true? And You'll understand. Yes, the dog you wanted so badly who crawled in your bed was in fact your paternal grandmother, Nellie (laughs) O'Riordan. You needed an Irish guide. All the women in the kitchen said you should take her because that would be the Irish way. But there's no right or wrong way, Eileen. I've watched you spend so much time at the crossroads thinking this or that because of the absence of one very clear, important idea which I will now share with you. Longing is not direction. It's okay to feel very sad that this dog is not in your life and you thought she would be. To be a deep and constant well of sadness is a very real thing, but it does not mean that you should go either right or left. It just means you are a well. You need to go on, and especially now, you need to go fast because you want to cover some land in the time you've got left. I need to finish this tapestry, be done with your book, and resume my own traveling. Your grandmother entered into Peggy because that's what people do all the time, become dogs. And dogs become human that way, and this transmigration of souls is a very Irish thing, remarked upon persistently in literature. It's wider than Irish or American, more ancient, and now we will continue with our weaving, which I think you understand now is an intuition, a dog talking inside of your head. Listen closely and carry this message to the world. I've been other dogs, and I've been people other than your father. I've been Mani. Some of you know who Monty is. Not Mani Petty, like getting manicures and pedicures. I've been Mani. In fact, that's why you keep getting stuck at the crossroads. Your father was stuck, and so he just died, crumpled. But you, you just kind of pause and scribble a bit. Or a lot. Your favorite moment in literature is when Frank O'Hara paused. Did he pause? And thought, I could just make a phone call. It was a dog thought. Robert Johnson paused. You once had a car accident listening to Robert Johnson. He is very important for you. He made a deal with the darkness at the crossroads. It is how he got so great. Like lightning hit those fingers. Give it to me, he said to the devil. And that's what he got. He got it by standing there in between and welcoming the darkness in. You think it's evil, it's something else. It's what's in between. Claim it, own it. You've heard of Manichaeism. It's the struggle between light and dark and it's very empathetic. Actually, some Manichaeists still have a website. It's like this active Manichaeists right now. Um, it's very empathetic. It's very thoughtful about the pain of the light particles trapped in all things. The light just wants to get out. I'm Mani. I've painted my teachings because if you show a story, it's in the day. It's not, it's not trapped. I'm going to get this out of here. It's not trapped in the secret place. I mean, you can barely prove what I said, but I had influence. In fact, people generally know more about me as an anti-belief than a belief. That's okay, I take space. I take space over power any day. My pictures had power and traveled all over the world for about 500 years. I was bigger after I was dead, which I think is kind of my way. And I was trapped in a cell and I died there. What's lost has more power than what is saved, known to be lost. And that tragedy fell within and was felt within the followers. Your mother received a letter from a woman who was on your father's paper, your father's paper route. Not... And that was mail route number four eleven in Harvard Square, after he died, she wrote a letter to your mother saying, "What a wonderful man your father was. Do you remember this story? No need to reply i 'm taking this right to the end all of it i 'll introduce people. I might sing a song, but i 'm taking it home. I am here we go you 've thought about the letter so much because your mother lost it. She never gave it a second. It was the way she survived. She stood there wavering on a bit a bit of scar tissue. It was a proud stand that was her crossroads, and she made a sound mm-hmm. And she just threw it out, that letter about him, all his letters. He's entirely gone because she needed to keep moving or she would have spent her whole life at the crossroads. And she built him up as an enormous invisible man, a letter carrier, a monument, your dad, as someone you needed to see. You have such pictures, such figures all over your family tree, dogs and letter carriers. Do you know why? I will tell you. To carry the sky. Here we go. There's a particular blue, a kind of vibrating denim that is, was adopted by the U.S. Postal Service in the early 20th century, and it is technically described as blue mixed cadet cloth. The postal uniform is one of my favorite colors, Imani, I Terence, being illuminated exactly as much and precisely as little as a night sky in winter. In that struggle of light and dark, and this is the exact fabric that depicts a frozen moment, a snowflake moment of color and crystallization that all dogs and, and precisely calibrated spiritual beings would recognize. Visually, there are colors that are also tones. That's the kind of painter Mani was. He used this color sparingly, just a woof of it. I'm not making a dog joke. I'm making a dog joke. It's an Iranian painter term, and I was born in Persia. I spoke Syriac, Aramaic, but let's be frank, I ran. I was an Iranian holy dog. My book of paintings, and this is true, my book of paintings is called the Arzang. Mani had a, I'll say it here, but it's like he had a paint, he was illiterate. He had a painted Bible. Once I was no longer seated on the holy throne on churches because I was dead, the Arzang would be Placed there on the highest seat. It was venerated. It was open. I'm telling you this because in our time, you must make a holy book. A book full of holes about time along the shapes that grace this tapestry. Can I be frank again? This rug, it's a magic rug. And I am a mailman. Your father was a mailman. Your grandmother's brother, Tim Reardon, from Knocknagowan, Rye Lane, Cork, mailman. Your grandfather's younger brother who came, became known to be as Barney from Dunham, McKenna, Lighton, Monaghan, mailman. It's a shame, Eileen, that you are not a mailman. I smile. Perhaps you are. But the United States, as we know, is a very evil and accidentally spiritual country. It's a Manichaean country. So accidentally pyramids speak on its money and accidentally the cadet blue of Persia, a vibrating speaking color, is the uniform of the common U.S. mailman. And your father, Terence is one. Terence meaning tender. It's no accident. Am I still rosy? Perhaps you should go and look out the window and see the mixed blue cadet sky. It's a magical time and a thief's time. It's little wonder that mailmen worldwide do not simply destroy the mail. In the same way that a chorus of dogs will surely defile and piss on this rug when we are done, the mailman wants nothing better than to destroy the mail. Why? All these men and women who are carrying these bags and carriages through the streets of the world, all of them are dogs. Does this not give you a different and better feeling about the U.S. Postal Service? It was enough for you to learn that there have been mailmen going back on your family's history for as long as there was mail, as long as there was writing. The sky is full of pictures tonight. Cadet Blue is made up of millions of pinpoints of light coming through from the other side. Other side of what, you might ask? The holes in the tapestry and the holes of the sky are the same ilk. It is for the purpose of reproduction. No, of course, there is not just one night like tonight. It has a copy. And that has a copy. It is out there somewhere. The universe is doubled. I, Mani, was given prophecy by my twin. If you look long at the double sky, the double universe posing as one, establishes a massaging effect on your optic nerve, which will open a sea of images, which is destiny and time. It's open tonight, and tonight, the night after Christmas, all the messages that were ever sent, will ever be sent, are written in the sky. Why are the postal workers angry? It's not enough to know they are dogs. Just last night, I was told on Christmas of all time, a sad tale. Of course, Christmas is the saddest day of all for me because Jesus was my other. What day was Monty born? We do not know. No copy of this book, The Arzang, exists. We hope this book will be their copy. We know that it sat on a chair and it was revered. The dogs who work for the U.S. Postal Service are now sending false messages and it breaks their hearts. The sad story I heard last night was that a dog outside of the service had been killed, had been put down for biting a mailman. This is a slow religious war. The dogs who have taken the bodies of male men either from birth or after the time of the age of 13 when the body of one with a weak nature may be intuited are the natural prey of the dogs in body who are loyal to the picture, not the script. You would think that dogs would hate writers, but it is not so. Each writer is required to tell a dog story. And so dogs attach themselves to writers to spur on the ghost writing And a writer might worry that too many dog books are being written, and no one will be interested in reading hers and buying it. And obviously, Mary Oliver has written a dog book. (laughs) Writing a dog book is hard, because the writer is in servitude to the dog most clearly now. The dog has been serving the writer for years, opening up her life, getting her out into the air, into the beaches, and even bringing attractive people into the unattractive life of the writer, (laughs) who often never goes out. And now, once he or she, the writer, succumbs, the dog gives pictures to the writer, which the writer transcribes. And we are seeing it here, most particularly in Chapter 20, entitled Transcript, or Rosie at 15. But now we think it should be called Copy, and that is Wisdom. And now, in particular, when Eileen is laying herself down horizontal like a dog, so Rosie can have her say. Peggy has spoken, and even the little dethroned one, Hank, he will have his say too, perhaps on a website, Eileen has a dog soul and it is Rosie. Eileen had a dog soul and it was Taffy and Taffy died. Eileen had a dog soul. It was Walter. She gave Walter away and let him be renamed the hideous Nike. She stood on a road like Monty. She stood too long and finally even Walter said, let me go. Let's put that right on the tapestry, Pause, thumping Eileen right up here because it was a very sad moment. You were lying on the floor by the door. You were looking in Walter's eyes and you were praying and Walter put his paw out and he simply meant Eileen decide and you thought he meant go Eileen. You were not free soul then Eileen. You are free now and this is why you're doing this great work for us, for me Eileen and all the dogs. I want to return to the mailman and the letter. What is the letter Eileen? As your father is floating over the house and the child with curly hair and a permanent, huh, is agonizingly writing the words, I will not talk in the corridor, I will not talk in the corridor. You're beginning your weaving, Eileen. Gertrude Stein is also a very very great weaver. All writers who use the sonic mode in writing are returning the fruits to the cave. I saw that you smashed a red clay pineapple one day on your farmhouse in Ireland, Eileen. I hoped you would see the meaning of it. In your windswept 18th century summer, 2013, in Italy and Ireland, the pineapple followed you. The pineapple is like Ganesh. Imani brought Ganesh, not into Christianity or whatever you call it, the thing I was glowing in. Jesus was one ball and Imani was the other. Jesus was my brother and passing it around. Why are you so hurriedly moving the pineapple off the brown window still in Ireland? Getting ready to go again, I think. Once upon a time, pineapples adorned your brother's bedpost. Your brother was wealthy, Eileen. That was how it seemed to you as a child because he had a paper route. You do not need a man's wealth. Money does not need Jesus' fame. People say the pineapple means welcome, but it also screams reesh. Grown elsewhere, brought here by magic, the pineapple is a voluminous kind of mail. It will always be delivered. The mail will find you. Whose house are you in now, Eileen? No matter. I think you linked your fate to the road in that shattered moment. You broke with history in its satisfied welcome. There is only comfort now in working closely with me and all the dogs, tracing a path like Johnny Appleseed of blue fruits and sonorities across the sky. But what is it about letters? For we want to tell the truth at last and not spread the Same stale jokes about dogs and mailmen. You have mailmen in your family and they were dogs, and all mailmen are dogs, some born, some late intuited. We call them impregnated mailmen. Letters are the cave turned inside out. Letters are the magic hidden. Am I against writing? Am I against the text? I am against the pineapple. Smash. I did it. I am against the letter too. When they say he goes postal, he is exploding from the pressure of carrying the letter for years. Often he is a soldier. Sometimes they are women too. In fact, the post office is the single greatest employer of women in the U.S. government. Women quickly shinny up this pole of power. The pressure of the letter is great. The last great thing about letter writing was cursive, and it is gone. Cursive was a photograph of the nerves of the writer... So, though the load of the letter was great, the flying hand, like a bird, told the inside of the cave of the writer does abstracted stuff. The pressure of the light particles is great inside matter. Imagine when there are no pictures. Each letter rolls in front of a cave and shuts out the light. What else does it? What else does it do? The last great thing was the typewritten letter. The weight of the body on the tap, tap, tapping machine, the choice of paper, often, usually, the hand has written the address on the outside of the envelope. Often, the body has moistened the stamp and it has stuck it on. Less involved, we tear a piece away and we may stick it on now. Possibly a hair may get caught in the pressure of that. A dirty person will leave something, if not spit. But how is the mailman against the letter itself? He carries the world, women too. The U.S. Post Office is the most gender-neutral division of the U.S. government. She carries the compacted dreams. The language implodes each time. I have sent her 36 letters of my love towards the end of a century. My wildest love letter never before offered in print. I wrote it carefully on light blue paper in India. In another year or two, in a fit of rage, I sent her all her letters back and she burned them all. She said, did she? My love and hers commingled in a pile of ash in her driveway. Another time a man took all of my young poet letters, I wrote him in the 80s, and piled them in a sink and burned them. These people are sad demons, lovers turned unlovers. These tragedies released the news from itself and somewhere a postal worker's burden was lightened. The letter does not stop. You write a letter and it goes somewhere and somebody reads it and the letter goes back and forth multitudinally. A letter will never die. It must be burned, I say, to be returned to light. The post office needs to walk in the blue uniform of time, the mixed cadet, and be seen knowing your messages are being sent by his footsteps and by your thought, the ancient method. Dogs should wander freely and and so should the postal workers. FedEx is evil because it is faster. The post office could be faster still in the Neanderthal way of no trace, not the tech-toxic electronic light of the Internet. What is the Internet? The observed letter, the unprivate mind. The mind will be open soon enough. The white man came in the middle of the night and clubbed and axed the children and the women to death. He is not worth the dogs he has working for him and living with him. Each wounded space should hold a party, and it will. A letter is like a dream of a thought. We mourn the loss of the letter, but dogs mourn the loss of the thought we mourn the loss of the letter but dogs mourn the loss of the thought the postal uniforms could grow softer longer and looser like tunics the post offices could be decorated by a tapestry such as this made by idle postal women and men no longer on a particular route but wandering aimlessly being the beautiful letters of our time to be a season of postal workers wandering in their lightweight gossamer mixed cadet blue shirts and pants and gowns in the winter the fine blue wool coats reflecting the sky and when a snowflake falls on the arm of a postal worker he will stop and smile and gesture to all around him and they will look at what has landed on him and what is falling in the skies because he is a dog and dogs love snow there's no burden anymore neither snow nor sleet nor rain shall be considered anything but colors and not problems at all what the sky is doing that i am continuous with and look what has fallen on my arm the hats of the worker will grow lush wide brimmed in summer with flowers and fruit beginning to grow off them and in winter tall feathers to communicate with the birds flying south or staying around. Slowly the hats will fall and drape the bodies of the postal workers and the clothes will begin to fall away and the hair will grow wild and curly. The women will be models for all the other humans. Wild strong mammalian women of the U.S. Postal Service carrying nothing but a strong and passionate attitude and a message for everyone which is their own bouncing back and forth among them for all eternity or infinity or today time in the hands of the postal worker will become slowly unlabeled FedEx and UPS will continue rushing around, but increasingly they will not be carrying anything except speed itself. And eventually they'll begin bumping into each other and only each other because the only proper refuge will have occurred and everyone will be beginning to live slowly and the right time with themselves because there's no kingdom and the end is only when the road has invited us to leave. Are we ready? Thank you.